Thank you for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. If you're joining us for the first time, I want to be the first to say welcome to Hope Church. Go ahead and open up the Hope Church LV app or visit hopechurchlv.com and click connect with us. We would love for you to fill out a short digital connection card so we can get to know you just a little better. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Once again, thank you for joining us today. All over the country this weekend, we are captivated by a basketball tournament that we call the what? The Final Four, right? A lot of us watched last night as those teams battled and played and are looking forward to Monday night and watching that basketball game. Uh, And I mention that because in some ways, I'm right now in the middle of my own Final Four, (laughs) You say, what do you mean by that? Well, if you weren't here last weekend, last weekend, I realized that last Sunday and this Sunday, Easter Sunday, and then the last Sunday of April, first Sunday of May, I'm preaching my final four sermons in the role of senior pastor here at Hope Church. Now, I know that's being a little overdramatic, and what I mean by that is I'm not gone. I will still be here My wife and I being sent out of this fellowship to be a part of leading this church planning network that works all over North America, I'll still get to preach here on occasion as a part of the team here. But for the last 21 years, God has entrusted me with the authority and the responsibility of shepherding this fellowship through the preaching and teaching of God's word. And it's been honestly one of the great joys of my life to be able to do that. But I have four more opportunities. Well, now it's less than that. I had, had four last week. I had one last weekend. This weekend, I'll preach Easter weekend. And then the first Sunday of May, May 1st, will be my last Sunday as senior pastor. And God just shifted my heart last weekend that, that I should, in these times that I have remaining, prioritize and emphasize through the preaching of his word some stuff that just makes us who we are as Hope Church. If you weren't here last weekend, I began last weekend by going back to the very first text of Scripture I ever preached at Hope. I preached it in my living room to 18 people in February of 2001. Out of Acts chapter 1, I preached a message to them called From a Frightened Crowd to a Faithful Church. And last weekend, we went back to that very text of Scripture And I shared with you four things that the early church wrapped its heart around. I'm going to remind you what they were. I said last weekend that they wrapped their hearts around a faith that produced obedience. If we're going to continue to be a church that God moves in power in our fellowship, we got to be a church that says we're going to obey God regardless. When it makes sense and when it doesn't make sense. When it's comfortable, when it's uncomfortable, when it's costly or when it's easy, we simply live with a yes on the table in obedience to God. Amen? Number two, I said we got to have a passion that produced unity. The early church rallied around this thing of the kingdom of God and everything else was in subservience to God's kingdom being expanded in and through them. Then number three, they had a desperation that produced prayer. And then number four, they had the spirit of God that produced power. And we looked at that last weekend, and if you were not here last weekend, honestly, I feel bad for you, because not because the sermon was great, but last weekend, we just saw God move in a special way. Uh, Started on Thursday night, (coughs) Thursday night in our service, we saw some people come to Christ even after the service on Thursday night, then we got into the 8.30 service on Sunday morning, 
And I just sense an unusual manifestation of the Holy Spirit's presence here among us. And we actually gave an invitation before I even preached. Had a bunch of people come to Christ at 8.30. It spilled into this service at 10.30. And if you were here, don't get nervous, but we didn't get out on time. Like the response time went almost a half an hour with people coming to be saved. One after another, after another, after another. And listen, I don't remember... I don't remember a Christmas or maybe Christmas or Easter where we saw more people come to Christ in one weekend than we saw what happened here last weekend. It was a special move of God among us. And I believe part of that was was God affirming that if we'll wrap our heart around that which made the early church so mightily used of God, God will. Listen, we serve the same God. Amen. The same God that was God in Acts chapter 2 is the same God that is God today, and he desires to move in power through us. But we got to be a people that are pliable and submissive to his word. So after last weekend, my plan was to come this weekend and double-click on number two. I was going to drill deep into this idea of the kingdom. I'm going to hold that off until we get to the last weekend in May. I'm going to talk about that a little bit in that message that I want to share with you my, my final weekend. What I felt led to do this week was to double-click on this number three. That we got to have a desperation that leads us to being a praying people. And i got to be a little bit transparent. What I want to share with you today is very simple. I mean, you're not going to hear this sermon today and walk out of here and go, man, that's the best one you've ever preached, Pastor Vance. Like, that's in the top five. That's a great one. No, it's simple. There's nothing that's going to wow us. I'm not going to unpack something through an exegetical linguistic study that's going to make you see a text of Scripture like you've never seen it before. But listen, if we will grab a hold of this, it may be the single most important thing we do as a church. I want to double-click on this idea of a desperation that produced prayer. If you were here last weekend, I told you the story of Letty Peralta. Now, if you're a hope lifer, you've been at hope for a long time, you've heard Letty Peralta's story enough to where you could probably tell it as good as I tell it. If you are not a hope lifer, you maybe heard that story for the first time last weekend. This Filipino lady who literally prayed every day for a year and a half for God to birth this church. And when we got here, none of us even knew she existed. And the 21-year history of this church is really the testimony of answer God answering that simple lady's cry for God to birth a church here in, in Las Vegas. What I didn't tell you last weekend and what I don't often tell with the story is what happened next. After we heard Letty's testimony, when she shared that with me, it radically changed our perspective about what God had brought us here to do. When Letty shared her story, we realized that God had not called us here to start something, but that he'd simply invited us to get in on something that started, this is important, long before Vance Pittman and his family or any of those other families that came with us in the beginning. It began long before we got here, and it was something that was going to continue long after we were off the scene. It was always bigger than us, and it birthed a rally cry in our church that I want to remind you of. I want you to read it out loud with me. You ready? One, two, three. We don't pray before we work. Prayer is the work. Then God works. 
You see, what oftentimes we do is we make our plan. We get in our room. We get our whiteboard. We have our think tank strategy session. We come up with our plan. We put it in a box. Then we bring that nice, neat box to God, and we say, God, here's our plan. Lord, now would you bless our plan? God, would you give us favor? Lord, would you pour out your power on what we want to do? And what we begin to realize through Letty's story is he don't need our plan. Like God has a plan. God is at work in the world and he's inviting us to get in on it. And the way we get in on it is by sitting before him in prayer. And as we pray, then God begins to work in power. You say, oh, what you're saying is that hope is a church that believes in the power of prayer. No. Listen to me carefully. There is no power in prayer. But there is great power in the one to whom we pray. Listen, there's no power in my prayer. There's no power. I have people sometimes say, oh, I just feel like if you could pray for No, it's, there's no power in our prayer. There's no power in our words. But there is much power in the God to whom we pray. And when we cry out to God, we become a conduit by which God moves in power in our lives, our communities, and our world. God is powerful. You see, if I say there's power in prayer, I'm putting faith in my prayer. <laughs> Listen. My prayer ain't worth faith. But God is. He said it's the, you could, you could have faith, a grain of mustard. It's not, it's, not the, it's not the words of our prayer. It's not the creativity of our prayer. It's the object of our prayer. We believe at hope that when we seek God in prayer, we experience God in power. It so changed us at Hope in those early days that we actually came here. We spent nine months mapping out a plan. <laughs> we got here, Letty called, and we threw the whole thing in the garbage can. It's like, God don't need our plan. <laughs> he got one. And so we refashioned our entire strategy around Letty's testimony. We said we were going to do three things. We were going to cultivate the field with prayer. What does that mean? It meant that Las Vegas was a spiritually hard place, a place that the enemy had staked out as his own territory. It's known all over the world as Sin City, and we wanted to, to see that field cultivated. I grew up in an agricultural community. If you didn't grow up in that, you don't really understand what I'm talking about. But if you're going to sow seed into a field, the first thing you got to do is make sure that the ground is prepared for the seed to be sown so that it can bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. How do you till up the ground spiritually? You do that by prayer. The Bible says these kind cometh not out but by prayer and fasting and as we begin to pray we cultivate the field then we said we're going to go back and we're going to sow the seed of the gospel where we've cultivated the field with prayer then we're going to just sit back and trust God for a harvest so that's what we did when we got here heard Letty's story through our plan in the garbage had 13 mission teams on their way to the city for five months all we did was prayer walk 50,000 households on the south end of Las Vegas took us five months to finish. We went to the, to the corner of St. Rose and Eastern Avenue. And from St. Rose and Eastern Avenue, we drew a circle around the five zip codes closest to that intersection. If you're an old school Vegas person, you remember when you used to move here, you'd get the map that had the spiral thing of all the zip codes. We, we took the map book, we printed it out on a wall, and we mapped out those five zip codes, and we prayer walked. You say, what's a prayer walk? Here it is. It's real spiritual. You walk and you pray. Do you know you can go home today in your neighborhood and you can do that? You can go for a walk. 
And as you're walking and you see a house, you see kids' toys, you start praying for the kids that live in that house that they'd come to know Christ. You see two cars in the driveway, you start praying for that family. You, you see a for sale sign, you start praying for what God's doing in that family that's leaving and start asking God to bring the next family in. You can prayer walk your neighborhood. We did that for five months, 50,000 households. We asked God to do two things. Lord, would you first of all open their hearts to the gospel? Believing that the gospel is powerful to change people's lives, we ask God to supernaturally prepare the hearts of the people in Las Vegas so they'd be receptive to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Second thing we did, we taught our teens, when you see a for sale sign, you ask God to raise up laborers for the harvest and to move people to Las Vegas who can join in his activity. Now, some of you sitting here right now, and you're Christians, and you're wondering, why did God move us to Las Vegas? Sorry. We ask him to. I'm not kidding. Some of you just had an epiphany. You've been wondering why you're here. Now you know God didn't bring you here to make money. God didn't put you here to retire early. God put you here to join in his activity of expanding his kingdom in Las Vegas, the West, and the world. The second thing we did is after prayer walking, we began to prayer survey those same households, knocking on the door, saying anything we can pray for you about and praying over those people. Then we, we took something, the millennials and Gen Z crowd, not going to know what I'm talking about. We took the phone book. <laughs> and we took three times, we prayed over every name in the Las Vegas phone book, those same two things. God, would you open their hearts to the gospel? And Lord, would you raise up labors for the harvest? Then we went to the four corners of Las Vegas. Some of you in the room, you were with us that night. We, we, we broke up into four teams. We knew that God, the enemy, had staked this territory out to himself. We went to the four corners of Vegas, and we literally took a physical stake, and we drove it down in the ground. And standing on the four corners of this city, we claimed it back for the glory and the honor of God. Now, it sounds cool now with a building like this full of people. When it's eight people in the four corners of the city, it's not quite as awesome. we begin to pray, we begin to see God move in power. And God began to build his church. And here we sit 21 years later. There's a story of the activity of God in response to the prayers of his people. And here's what Ian e. Bounds said about it. Ian e. Bounds in his book on prayer says, the story of every great Christian achievement is the history of answered prayer. You know what the story of Hope Church is? It's the history of answered prayer. But that's not just true about us. That's true of how God works all over the world. Listen, you, you find God moving in power anywhere in the world. And if you dig deep enough, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find a remnant of God's people who are desperately seeking him in prayer. Now, in just a minute, we're about to get to a text of scripture. I know some of you are nervous already because Pastor Vance is normally already in the text. We're getting there. If it makes you feel better, go ahead and turn to 1 Timothy. That's where we're going. But I want you to understand this principle practically before I unpack it biblically. This is not just the story of Hope Church. It's the story of how God works in the world. Let me communicate that. I want to take you back and walk you about a little over 100 years ago, back to 1857. And I want you to see what God did in the world in the span of 70 years. In 1857, a revival broke out in the United States of America that has now been called the Second Great Awakening by historians. In a, in a span of 18 months, uh, over a million people came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior in America. Now, to put that into today's terminology, that would like be saying in the next year and a half, 10 million Americans are going to be born again in their relationship with Christ. 
But it didn't just stay in America. It then spread over to Wales. In 1904, 1905, a revival broke out in the country of Wales. And in Wales, 100,000 people came to know Christ in six months. Then it spread to France, then down to Madagascar, this move of God. And then by 1906, excuse me, by 1905, it broke out in India and all over India, but in particular in one region in India, in a matter of two days, 8,000 people came to know Christ as Lord and Savior. That's like Book of Acts kind of stuff. Then it went from India by 1906, 1907, this move of God went to North Korea and in North Korea, in two different parts of the country, over a span of just a few months, 80,000 people came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in North Korea. Then it came back into China, started in the Shandong province of China. Revival broke out in 1927. And that revival that broke out in China in 1927 ultimately led to the Christian community in China increasing by tenfold. There were days, there were periods, months at a time when 45,000 people per day were coming to faith in Christ in China. Now, I want you to look at this. In a span of 70 years... From one end of the globe to the other end of the globe. God moved all over the world. But here's what I want you to hear. All of that had something in common. What did it have in common? Every one of these movements began in desperate united prayer. In the United States, prior to 1857, the church in America prayed for two solid years daily for revival. In Wales, they prayed for five years every day for a move of God. In India, two years of prayer meetings. In North Korea, two years of prayer meetings. In China, four years of prayer meetings. What's your point, Pastor Vance? Here's my point. I'll give it to you by Andrew Murray. Intercession is the chief means appointed by God to bring the great redemption within the reach of all. How many of you believe that God is alive and at work in the world today. Let me see your hand. All right, put them down. Listen to me. Listen to me. He will not move if we do not pray. <laughs> Pastor Vance... Are you telling us that God needs us? Absolutely not. God doesn't need us. He's God. But here's what I'm telling you. God in his sovereignty has chosen that the way he works in the world is in response to the prayers of his people. You say, explain that. I can't. It just is. That's how God moves. I've shown it to you practically. Now let's look at it biblically. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Understand the context of 1 Timothy. Paul, the apostle, is writing to a young pastor named Timothy who's pastoring his very first church. And Paul is giving him instruction on how to lead the church to join in the big picture of what God's doing all over the world. So Paul, in, in a few verses in 1 Timothy, gives him a summary of the entire scope of the Bible. How many of you remember when you were in school something called Cliff's Notes? Anybody ever you here? Yeah. Amen, right? 
All the educators in the room, I'm sorry. I repent. But there were days I had to have the help. Cliff's Notes takes a book that is this thick and gives you the summary in a book that's about this thick. What 1 Timothy does is takes the whole story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and in four verses gives you the whole narrative of Scripture. It's Cliff's Notes. It's a summary. Look at it starting in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 3. This, this, these two verses tell us God's heart towards the peoples of the earth. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be what? Saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. There is the heart of God for humanity. God desires every person in every country and every culture and every corner of the globe to come to know him. Aren't you glad that we serve a God who's in the saving business? He longs for the peoples of the earth. God made us to know him and to love him. And it is the desire of God that we know him and love him. Let me show you the second part. Look at this. Verse 5 and 6. Verse 5 and 6. And before I read these, let me say this about what I just said. What I just said is not a universalistic belief that all people will be saved. What it reveals to us is the heart of our Father who desires all people to be saved. The second part of this is God's gift to the peoples of the earth. Look at verse 5. For there's one God and there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. You see, God desires all of us to come to know him. But here's the story of the Bible. We've sinned against God. If you know that, say amen. amen. If you didn't say amen, you can now because you just lied. We've all sinned against God. <laughs> and our sin separates us from this holy God. And there's nothing you and I can do to earn our way back into a right standing with God. You can come to church until you wear out the seat that you're sitting in. You can get baptized until you're as wrinkled as a California raisin. You can do all the do's and don't all the don'ts. And none of that will undo the fact you've already sinned against God. But God so desired all people to come to know him. That he stepped in the middle and did something we couldn't do on our own. God sent his only son, Jesus. God became a man, came into this world, took all of your sin and all of my sin that I've ever committed, past, present, future. Jesus took it on himself and on the cross, Jesus died in my place and in your place. He paid the penalty for our sin, but he didn't stay dead. The good news of the gospel is he rose again from the dead as a testimony that God had accepted his sacrifice for our sin so that now you and I, although our sin separates us from God because of Jesus, we can, we can turn to Jesus and receive forgiveness of our sin. And get this, we can be reconciled back into a right relationship with God by grace. By grace. Paul says, man, God desires all people to come to know him. And in Christ, God has made it possible. Listen, maybe you're here today. Maybe you're here today and you just stumbled into a church service thinking, man, I'm going to give church a shot, give church a try. Listen, church can't help you, but Jesus can. Jesus can. At the end of our service, we're going to have a response. And I'm going to invite you today, if you don't know Christ... If you don't know that if you were to die today, you'll spend eternity in heaven with him. If you don't know that you know God and know what it means to be forgiven of your sin, when we stand to sing in a few moments, I'm going to invite you to come to a pastor. 
and simply say to them, I need Jesus. And we'll have somebody sit down with you from the Bible and show you how you can walk out of here today a loved, accepted, forgiven child of God. Third part of this, God's mission to all the peoples of the earth. Look at verse 7. Paul said, for this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Paul said, listen, it's God's heart that all people come to know him. God's made a provision in Jesus. He's given a gift so that all can come to know him. Now here's the plan. I've been set apart. You've been set apart so that we can now go to the peoples of the earth and tell them the good news that Jesus saves. It's the whole story of the Bible. You say, Pastor, that's great, but I thought you said you're going to talk to us about prayer. What does this have to do with prayer? I'm so glad you asked. (laughs) Everything we just read is sandwiched in between two of the strongest exhortations to pray written anywhere in the New Testament. What did Paul just say? He just said, God loves the peoples of the earth. God's given Jesus so the peoples of the earth can know him. God's called us to go and tell people about Jesus so they can come to know him. But look at verse 1 of chapter 2. Verse 1, what are the first three words? Say it out loud. First of all. First of all. I urge. Supplication. Prayers. Intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. We may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Now jump down to verse 8 as this text ends. Verse 8, Paul says, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Do you see it? Here's what Paul is saying. Yes! It is the desire of God that the nations come to know him. Yes, it's the desire of God that every person be saved. Yes, God has given Jesus. And in Jesus, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, we can find the salvation that God desires for us. And yes, we've been called to take the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth. But here's what Paul says. God and his sovereignty has chosen to limit his activity to the prayers of his people. Andrew Murray summed it up best. Listen to what he said. God rules the world and his church through the prayers of his people. Stop right there for just a second. I want you to read that sentence one more time. Think about this. God rules. Anybody... A little mm, about all that's going on in the world right now. Anybody a little at angst about any of this stuff? Like global conflict, political turmoil, gas prices rising. God rules the world. And his church. By the prayers of his people. You know what that means? That means you can have more effect on what's going on in the world by five minutes of prayer than by five weeks of posting on social media. That God should have made the extension of his kingdom to such a large extent 
dependent on the faithfulness of his people in prayer is a stupendous mystery. Here's what he said. That God would choose to work through our praying doesn't make sense. It's a mystery. But here's what he said. Yet it's an absolute certainty. What is he saying? You find God moving anywhere, you dig deep enough, guess what you always find? God's people praying. God calls for intercessors. In his grace, he has made his work dependent on them. This last phrase, he waits for Let me ask you a question. If God moves, and don't answer out loud, if God moves in his church in Las Vegas today exclusively based upon the way you and I prayed last week, will we see God move in power today in our city? Let me ask two important questions and I'll be done. Number one, how important is prayer? Well, three phrases. Number one, Paul says, first of all. You could translate it, other translations translate it this way. Uh, let's get first things first. Here's what he's about to say. God loves the peoples of the earth. God's given Jesus so the peoples of the earth can come to know him. God's called us to take the message of Jesus to the ends of the earth so they can come to know him. But let's get first things first. You could translate it this way, above all else. It's why Jesus said, my house shall be a house of what? Not preaching, not singing, not worship, not connection, not buildings, not facilities. Not My house shall be a house of what? Prayer for all the nations. First of all, he's writing to this young pastor. Pastor? God loves the peoples of the earth. Pastor, God's given Jesus as our substitutionary atonement so we can come to know him. Pastor, God has called us and appointed us to be messengers and missionaries to the ends of the earth. But pastor, listen to me. Let's get first things first. We got to pray. Second phrase, Paul said, I urge. First of all, I urge. Now, it could have said, I command. I command. I command. Because Paul's an apostle. Meaning, he could walk into any church anywhere and he was in charge. But Paul here is not speaking from his position of authority as an apostle. He's speaking from the passion of his heart as a follower of Jesus. It's a word that means to bear. It's the picture of the coach in the locker room that is inspiring his team to go on the field and execute the play. Paul said, Timothy, God loves the world. God's at work in the world. God has a mission in the world. But let's get first things first. I'm begging you to pray. Third phrase at the end of this pericope of Scripture, verse 8. He said, I desire then. The word then is a word that's often translated in other translations, therefore or now. And it means on the basis of what I've just said, let me draw a conclusion. Now, what did he just say in verses 3 through 7? He just said God loves the world. God's given his son Jesus so the world can come to know him. And God's appointed us as missionaries and preachers to go to the ends of the earth. 
Based on that, here's what he said. Let me draw this conclusion. I want the men in every place to go out into the streets and begin sharing the gospel. Is that what he said? Mm -mm. Do we need to go out in the streets and share the gospel? That's a good place to say yes. We do. But Paul says that's not first. Therefore, I want the men in every place to give generously and sacrificially. Do we need to give generously and sacrificially? Yes. God fuels his mission by the generosity of his people. But Paul says that's not first. We got to. He said, I want the men in every place to pray. S.D. Gordon summed it up, I think, pretty well when he said this. You can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you've prayed. How subtle is our enemy that seduces us into activity beyond prayer? I mean, what's the most difficult thing to do with consistency in your spiritual life, right? Is pray, right? We all fight the battle of our flesh wanting to... Even when, a moment ago, Pastor Edward, every weekend we take 8 to 10 minutes. We lead our church in corporate prayer. It's hard to sit for 8 to 10 minutes and not let your mind start wondering about other stuff, isn't it? You go in and out of him leading us. For a minute I'm praying, then I start thinking about lunch. For a minute I'm praying, then I start thinking about what I'm going to do this afternoon. Right? Let's just be honest. How subtle is our enemy? You know why he would let you do anything other than pray? Because prayer is the work. And when we pray, God begins to work. He don't care how busy we are as long as we're not praying. How important is prayer? Paul tells us. Here's the second question. I'm done with this. How should we pray? I'm going to give you five short statements. That are right out of this text. Number one, we should pray urgently. We should pray urgently. Paul uses the word supplication. It's a Greek word that means prayer rising from a sense of need. Knowing what is lacking, we plead with God to supply it. Let me ask you a question. Would you describe the way you prayed this week as being prayer with a sense of urgency? As you and I look out on the brokenness of the world we live in, how do we respond? When you see stuff in the world not going the way you think it ought to go, whether it's locally, in America, or on the other side of the world, how do we react to that? Is it anger? Is it self-righteousness? Is it frustration? Is it contempt? Why can't they just be more like us? Why can't they just think like we think? Or... When we see the brokenness in the world, are we drawn and driven to pray with a sense of urgency? Because here's what we know. Legislation won't change people. Education won't change people. Politicians won't change people. But a move of God can and will change the world. There should be an urgency about us as we cry out to God in prayer. But secondly, we should pray desperately. The second word Paul uses is the word prayers. It's the most common term in the Bible for talking to God. And here's what I want you to understand. Prayer is motivated by a sense of desperation. Let me prove it to you. When do you pray the most? <laughs> right? When you're the most desperate. Like, you may not have prayed much last week. 
But if tomorrow morning you go visit your doctor for your checkup and your doctor says you have three to six months to live and there's nothing medically we can do to change that. Now, you might not have made prayer a priority last week. You might not have been described as a prayer warrior last week, but let me promise you, you just became a what? <laughs> not only that, you blowing up my phone and everybody else's, right? You didn't care whether or not we prayed last week, but now you want us all praying. Why? Because you just got desperate. Vance Havner said it this way. The tragedy of the hour is that the situation is desperate, but the saints are not. You see, we don't pray because we don't realize how desperate we are. It was easy for us 21 years ago. 18 people sitting in the living room with a dream God put in our heart to touch the world. You know what we knew? You know what we knew? We knew we needed God. But you can look around at us today, and if we're not careful, we can kind of think we arrived. But here's what I'm telling you, Hope Church. Listen to me. If we want to be a place that sees, if we want to be a people that sees a move of God, we need to know this very at the core of our being. We need God. We need God. We are desperate for God. If you believe that, say amen. amen. I wish you'd said it more passionately. <laughs> but that's the third point. We should pray passionately. The third word Paul uses is intercession. It means to plead in the interest of another without holding back because we understand. You know the problem for a lot of us that have been saved a long time? We've been saved too long. You say, what do you mean by that? Here's what I mean by that. We've been saved so long we forgot what it's like to be lost. I'm going to let you in on a spiritual reality that will give you peace. Lost people act like lost people because they are lost people. That's it. When you've been saved too long, you develop a self-righteous mentality that forgets lost people act like lost people because they're lost people. It shapes the way we see the decisions people make. Rather than getting angry, well, how dare they? No, they're just lost. How could they think like that? They're just lost. And lost people act like lost people because they're lost people. So the greatest thing you can do is not convince them of your ideology. It's introduce them to Jesus. The same Jesus that changed you can change them. I read a verse in Psalms years ago that stuck with me, man. Psalm chapter 9, verse 10. Look what it says. And those who know your name put their trust in you. If you believe that, say amen. That's, that was my first response when I read it that morning. I read it and said, that's right. Lord, no matter what comes my way today, I know your name, and I'm going to put my trust in you. Get this. 92% of Las Vegas, 92% of the people who live here do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Meaning, if you're in line out here at the intersection trying to get out, at the red light over here where they get it all backed up with all the cones and everything else. It's a mess. But nine out of ten people sitting around that intersection have no relationship with God. If you're in line at the grocery store, Walmart, Costco, nine out of ten people in that line have no relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And get this, they wake up this week with the same problem 
you and I got. Some of them are having marriage issues. Some of them have lost their jobs. Some of them have kids that are rebellious and pushing the envelope and testing the limits. Some of them can't pay their bills. Now, when you and I face those problems, what do we do? (laughs) We run to him because we know his name. Get this. They don't know his name. So they woke up today with all hell breaking loose in their life. And they got nowhere to turn. That's why they turn to drugs and alcohol and sex and addiction and all kind of other stuff. Because they have nowhere else to turn. What if we begin to pray passionately that every soul in Las Vegas would come to know Christ? Number four, we should pray expectantly. Paul uses the word thanksgivings. What are we thanking God for, for what he's going to do? When we pray urgently and desperately and passionately, we can have an expectancy that God is going to move in response to the prayers of his people. And we can begin to thank God. God, we ain't seen it yet, but we thank you for what you're going to do. We thank you for how you're going to move. We thank you for the lives that are going to be changed. We thank you for the families that are going to be reconciled. We thank you, God, for the healing that's going to take place. And here's the last thing we can pray corporately. We should pray corporately. There's the five. We should pray urgently, desperately, passionately, expectantly, corporately. What do you mean corporately? Well, we can hear all this and think it's just about me getting in a room by myself and praying. And that's important. But the way Paul closes this text, he says, I want the men, plural, in every place, singular. He's describing us together in a place gathered praying corporately. Should we pray individually? Yes. But we should also pray corporately together. You say, why did he single out the men? I don't know for sure why he singled out the men. I think I know part of the reason why. (laughs) Because women pray us to shame, guys. You find the prayer ministry in most churches, let me tell you what you'll find. A whole lot of women. And I think Paul, talking to this pastor, singled out the men because he thought, man, if you get the men, I can promise you, you got the women praying. There's a lot of families sitting in this room right now. Dad, husband, your wife's setting the prayer pace in your family. That needs to change. Paul is addressing that as he's writing to this young spiritual leader. He's really emphasizing this idea that we must pray together. I'll close with this quote. John Franklin said, The greatest workings of God come by corporate prayer, and we will not see the power of God in sufficient measure to transform the world around us until we pray together. God in his sovereignty has determined that something happens when we pray together that transcends praying separately. So now we're about to, we've looked at it practically. We've looked at it biblically. Now we're about to participate in it corporately. We're not just going to talk about this today. We're about to do it. I thought that has made some people uncomfortable. We're about to pray. And that's part of what's wrong with us in the American church. Prayers become so abnormal that it makes us uncomfortable. We talk about praying together as the church. We're about to pray. I'm going to go ahead and invite some pastors to come and join me here. Listen, this isn't a time to slip out early. This is a time to meet with God. These pastors are here. If you do not know Christ today, you heard me say earlier that God loves you. God wants a relationship with you. God's given Jesus so you can come to know him. You can today experience forgiveness and salvation. 
But here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you when we stand in just a minute, you come to one of these pastors and just say, I need Jesus. That's it. That's all you got to say. And we'll have somebody show you from a Bible how you can begin a relationship with God. So if you're not a Christian, that's the only request I have to you today. Come to one of these pastors and say, I need Jesus. For the rest of us, here's what we're about to do. I've prayed coming into today that lost people would be saved and that saved people would be convicted and inspired to pray together. If you're here and you're all alone by yourself, you feel free to practice this by yourself in collection with the rest of us. You feel free. You don't have to get it up with somebody you don't know. That's not what I'm saying. You can come to the altar and pray. You can come to a pastor and pray. But if you're here with a, a spouse, a family member, a neighbor, a friend, or somebody's in your small group that's here, I want to encourage you during this response time to either at this altar huddle up and two, three, four people together or at your seat there or in the, in the aisle, huddle up with two, three, four people that you're with, one or two, whatever's there, and we're going to just spend the next few minutes as they sing, we're going to just pray all over this building. We're just going to cry out to God. What are we praying for? Well, first of all, whatever the prompting of the Holy Spirit leads you to pray for. If you don't know what that means, begin to just pray for lost people to be saved. By name, people you know that don't know Jesus. Pray for people that are hurting to be healed. Pray for the big stuff that's happening in the world, for God to, to rule in righteousness and, and to give us give wisdom to our leaders. Pray for awakening, for God to begin to do something at Hope Church and in Las Vegas that the world would have to sit up and take notice. If what we're about to do is clear, say amen. That's an amen that says it's clear, and I'm a little bit nervous. That's okay. I'm going to pray, then we're going to start. Lord, I'm going to go ahead and say thank you, God, for everything that you're about to do in response to the prayers we're about to pray. Lord, when I think of the people that could be saved, the families that could be reconciled, the children that could be brought home, the, the, the provision financially that people could experience, the healing that could take place. God, I pray in the next few moments as your people, as we cry out to you, God, that you would unleash the power of heaven. Lord, I pray for those that don't know Christ that they'd come to be saved today. Holy Spirit of God, have your way in Jesus' name.